traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. In the squadron, they called him bullets. But we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Dalek Baldwin. Uh charged with involuntary manslaughter of which for which there's an 18 month penalty uh i don't think this is the end of alec baldwin uh no it's not it should have been goodness gracious imagine that killing a woman right and then denying you pulled the trigger when everybody knows you pulled the trigger no 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 no. remember that when he told george stephanopoulos everybody you guys remember that get do me a favor get that when he denied uh pulling the trigger you pulled the trigger right oh no 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 um, he's in big trouble, but hey, he's a Trump hater. <laughs> he's a liberal in all the right ways. He is so in, so liberal that like two weeks ago, Harry and Meghan selected him to MC some event where they were getting awards, phony baloney, you know, fighting racism awards. Uh, Alec Baldwin was the MC. So he's still a uh, favorite of the left. And what about all those anti-Semitic things he said? What about all those homophobic things he said? Well, <laughs> the left is more anti-Semitic and more homophobic and more all those things than you might think. The left. Oh, boy. I am. Well, that woman, mother of two children, right? The cinematographer who was killed. Uh, but he still gets a round of applause. This is uh, 18 months. Involuntary manslaughter. I remember somebody getting involuntary homicide and only getting a year in jail. So it is what it is, I guess. Uh, Not the biggest story in the world. There's only one thing I've ever defended Alec Baldwin over was, do you remember that horrible voicemail he left his kid? Ireland, that nasty little pig, according to Alec Baldwin, right? You nasty little pig! You have made a fool out of me for the last time. Actually, if let's get that too. It's kind of funny, but the why I defended him then and still to this day on that one thing is because he wasn't calling Ireland his child a nasty little pig. Like, get away from me, you nasty little pig! I hate you. It was you nasty little pig. You don't return my calls. You, you're not. I'm trying to be in your life, and you are shunning me. And that's that's why I kind of cut him some slack on that. You're not supposed to call anybody a little nasty pig, stupid, all those depraved things that he said about his own daughter. It's pretty funny. I don't care that you're only 11 years old. You're a nasty, horrible person. <laughs> that's, uh, he wanted to be in her life. And that uh, that that is uh, respectable, actually. It's the one it's the one decent thing he ever did. I don't know. Hey, remember this. Whenever they talk about democracy, yeah, they don't they don't believe it. The left does not like democracy. They are the most anti-democratic part. They ought to change their name to the autocracy. Every time you hear it, they're lying. Cut 18, please. It's an exciting time that democracy prevails. We choose democracy. Democracy has prevailed. We need to get democracy moving again. We love our democracy. We are proud of our democracy. It's our democracy in the balance. 
democracy, democracy, democracy. Did you see my Newsmax show? I found this old article where Joe Biden is like, we can cancel the First Amendment if we want to. We politicians, we're that powerful. <laughs> uh, here he is uh, dismissing the people, dismissing American citizens. We don't know what we're talking about, but Joe Biden does. This is during the uh, Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings back in 1991. Is this a guy who's all about democracy? The people don't get it. Who cares about the people? But we get it. Cut 19. I just want to make sure we all know what we're talking about here. That You and I know at least what we're talking about here. There's a fervent and aggressive school of thought that wishes to see natural law further inform the Constitution than it does now. Argued against by the positivist led by Judge Bork. Now, again, that may be lost on all the people. You know and I know. Yeah, it's lost on all the people. Lost on The people would never understand this. We could never understand that Joe Biden, uh, something he can come to terms with, we can't handle it. By the way, he was making a fool out of himself. The guy he was talking to, lecturing Clarence Thomas, who finished at the top of his Yale Law School class, Joe Biden was kicked out, barely graduated from the Syracuse University Law School. What did Clarence Thomas think of that exchange? Cut 20, please. Who knows? I I have no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, He's going down. He is going down. It's, um, It's so obvious to me. And this is an Obama operation. It's an Obama operation. Don't get too enamored with the classified documents. This is their tool to take him out. They want him out. I think, and I laid this out last night, one of the big reasons, they may have fooled the fake news. They may have fooled big tech and Twitter and social media. But what happened in Afghanistan, that leaves a mark. You know, the media, they were done talking about it three days later. But it's... That is a strategic catastrophe. And you know what? I think it actually offended not only us, but on some level, it, it really offended the pros in Washington. And it offended Barack Obama. Barack Obama sees this klutz. And he says, Michelle would do a much, much better job. And I got this friend named Joel Gilbert. And he's been making the case for years now that Michelle will be the Democrat nominee. And she could very well be the next Michelle Obama. I know. Like, and they want they needed to take him out. And what better way to do it than with classified documents? Because most Americans have no idea about classified documents. We view it with this, you know, we're so it's there's oh my goodness gracious classified documents. How how impressive. We you've never handled anything classified, right? And it's the stuff of legend. I got this clip from Top Gun. This is a famous line, actually. Maybe you've, you've heard somebody say this, and you don't realize what movie it's from. Well, it's from Top Gun, and, you know, the mystique, the intrigue of classified, something classified. Here's Top Gun. Uh, this is Tom Cruise having a conversation with Kelly McGillis. Cut 26. Excuse me, Lieutenant. Is there something wrong? Yes, ma'am. The data on the MiG is inaccurate. How's that, Lieutenant? We... Happened to see a MiG-28 do a 4G negative dive. Where did you see this? That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. (laughs) 
Great line, right? <laughs> and it works. It works. We don't know what classified information is. We don't know. We've seen uh, Mission Impossible. This this tape will self-destruct in 10 seconds. Good luck, Jim. That's classified stuff to us. And the swamp, they trade in this crap. Everything's overclassified. I told you that. They, they classify the weather report. If you're in the military, if you're an officer in the military, you probably have looked at something classified a couple of times, maybe a lot. Uh, it's not all that. It's not all that. They need to take Joe Biden out. They need to get rid of him. He's become comfortable in this job, even though he shouldn't be. He enjoys the perks. He enjoys the attention. He enjoys the protection of Hunter and himself. But they got to take him out. And why not use the classified documents? You could use anything, but here's another movie that I like. Casablanca. And remember, everybody's having a great time in Rick's Cafe. Here's the scene. I think this is uh, Major Strasse telling our French friend to close down the joint. Listen closely. Cut 27. I advise that this place be shut up at once. But everybody's having such a good time. Yes, much too good a time. The place is to be closed. But I have no excuse to close it. Find one. Find one. That's key. Find one. Everybody's to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out. <laughs> shocked. Find one. That's actually the key line. I have no reason to close the cafe. Find one. We have no reason to get rid of Joe Biden. Find one. That's the word from Barack Obama, and he is very much pulling the strings here. He is one shrewd, cool cat. I'll give him that. He's a billionaire now, can walk into any room in the universe. Everybody's still in awe of this guy. And he, you think, I mean, you put Joe Biden up against Barack Obama. Barack Obama's a hell of a lot smarter, a hell of a lot shrewder. And he's always said this. He wanted this kind of arrangement where somebody like him would be actually running the show. You think he's kidding here? He's not. This is an interview with Stephen Colbert, Barack Obama, November 2020, just after the election. Cut 24. If I could make an arrangement where um, I had, a, I had a, a front man or front woman and, and they had an earpiece in and I was in my basement in my sweats mm-hmm. looking through the stuff and sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony, I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with that. And then he looks, he has this look in his eyes, eyes wide open. Hey, by the way, I heard a couple of hits in that. I heard some clip. Does that sound like that on the radio or is that just my headpiece? Really? What's going on? Why would it be like that? It It was fine when I gave it. I don't know why there's so many interruptions. There shouldn't be any interruptions. Oh, well. Um, so does that make sense? This is a, this is a, an elaborate takedown of Joe Biden orchestrated by, uh, Obama with a big assist from the deep state. Now here's another thing to focus on the visitor log. Forget the visitor log. All right. The visitor log. It's not, there is no visitor log for the years when he was vice president. Now I understand the Secret Service. They say they have a a list of everybody, yeah, when he was president or when he was a candidate. But not during those uh, critical years when nobody was watching the House. 
Nobody. And Hunter was actually the king of the manor. Let's see here. But this is important. Why were the lawyers emptying the office? Well, the lawyers, I think, might have been there. (laughs) Well, listen to this. Cut 28. When my lawyers were clearing out my office at the University of Pennsylvania, they set up an office for me, secure office in the Capitol. All right. Forget about the secure office in the Capitol. That's him muddying the waters. When my lawyers were packing up the office, that's on November 2nd, and the lawyers found the classified documents. What lawyer found the class? Which lawyer was it? His name was Patrick Moore. And somebody advised me. They said, Figure out who that guy is. Find out who he worked for. Find out where he came from. And that will be the man or woman behind this whole operation. That sounded like a pretty cool assignment. Patrick Moore. Got to be a lot of Patrick Moores. Took a shot with the Google. Patrick Moore. Bing, 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 bing. Patrick Moore worked in the White House Counsel's Office under Barack Obama. He, was, uh, he worked there from 2015 to 2017, and one of the things they had him do was vet candidates, vet people for jobs. You need a lawyer for that. He's hanging around Boston College, I understand right now. And the person who told me this said, that will be your man. That, and this, this, is a, this is a deep stater. He doesn't like it when I call him a deep stater, but he's a deep stater. And um, he's been around for a long time, knows how Washington works. That will be your man. And uh, I think I laid it out quite beautifully on the Newsmax show that uh, Obama is behind this. And it's all to get Michelle in there or just get Biden out. It may not be Michelle. It might be Gavin Newsom. That'll be interesting, huh? He's ruined California. What does California have going for it? Nothing. Nobody wants to go to California. Florida is the place to be. Uh, you got to go to Florida, not California. The guy would just, well, he, he survived that recall. You go from a recall to the presidency. Mm, it shouldn't be that way, right? It should not be that way. It could very well. All right, what else is going on? Uh, Kareem Jean-Pierre happens to be the worst press secretary in the world, and people are getting more and more comfortable pointing that out. Um, she just doesn't have a grasp of you know the mechanics of such a job. She doesn't know how to do it. Um, now, why did she get that job? You know who I'm talking about, right? The, the press secretary. And she is always um, you know, deferring. Uh, you got to call this person. We can't comment. It's, and the problem with her is she wasn't qualified. Her qualifications for that job is being black, being an immigrant, being a woman, and being gay. A black gay immigrant woman is how she puts it. Now, that may sound like, uh, am I being insensitive? Uh, How could I point that out? How can you, Greg Kelly, white man, you, you, uh, all that stuff, your white privilege and all that? Well, she goes around saying this. It got clip after clip. She goes, I am a gay black immigrant woman, and Donald Trump hates me. Because I'm a black gay immigrant woman. You ever see it when I did this on the show? And then I have 50,000 pictures of Donald Trump posing with, guess what? Black gay immigrants. Okay. Not all of them women. Some men. Martina Navratilova. They were good friends, uh, Donald Trump, before he got into politics. Okay. It's what I've always said, quite frankly. 
Donald Trump is always right. <laughs> he really is. Uh, it's kind of amazing. And um, I urge you to watch the Newsmax show tonight. We're going to unveil some very, very special features. In the meantime, I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. But on questions that you should be able to answer here that shouldn't have to go to any other agency or entity, can you tell us if there's any sort of assessment that has been planned or launched to determine if national security has been jeopardized at all? Again, that's for the Department of Why Justice. Why is it a DOJ and, and, it's, and let's be clear, it's not your decision to make of what I can or can't answer from here. Oh, uh, I think she's trying to call that reporter a Karen, maybe. I think that's... Uh, that's pretty aggressive there. She can, <laughs> you won't answer anything. Corrine Jean-Pierre is um, no good at this job. And that's what happens when you go woke. When you select somebody based on gender and race and sexual orientation alone, and you don't look for somebody with ability, this is what you get. It's such a cynical move. And it's uh, unfair to everybody. It's unfair to the American people. It's unfair to those reporters. And ultimately, also, it's unfair to... Uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre, Corrine Jean-Pierre, a black gay immigrant woman. You know that, right? You don't know that? Oh, it's a big deal. She is a black gay immigrant woman. Just ask her. She could. I, at one point, I thought she was looking for a date because she talked about her, uh, you know, sexuality all the time. I mean, is there is there is what? Why is she putting it out there to all the lesbians? I'm I'm available. Why? Can you imagine a. Um, Anybody, a straight person coming out? I happen to like, uh, I happen to like girls, and uh, I uh, I was born in America, and uh, yeah, here I am. Is that does that make me better or special? No, and it doesn't make her special either. It's irrelevant. Just say that every time you get asked a tough question. I'm a black gay immigrant woman. I'm a black gay immigrant woman. Why not? That's why you are hired. That's the big selling point here. What a disaster. What a disaster. And, um, again, it couldn't be happening to a nicer administration, right? They totally deserve this. It's done. It's becoming unraveled. They're finished. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Okay. Hey, I got a book party. Oh, boy, book parties. They're, uh, whew. Uh, they're fun, but uh, they can be a bit uh, complicated to to invite people. I had a big debate about the whole uh, paperless post thing. You know, you got to send people. You don't send an invitation anymore in the mail. And you don't even send an email about a party. No, you have to send a paperless post. And what do they do? They got to click on the link. And I'm like, this is where the problems start. This is where this is where uh, the invitations uh fall through the cracks or people don't get them or they click on the link and something happens. Something always, something always bad happens when I click on the link. Some stupid commercial pops up. It takes me somewhere I don't want to go. I don't know. I don't want this paperless stuff. I don't want a link. I just want a an invitation in the mail or call me or just a direct email. I don't have to be old-fashioned. An email, but just when and where with a phone number to RSVP. Would that be a problem? I actually ran a book party once for somebody else, and that's how I did it. And I said, you know what? We're going to be inviting a lot of folks. You know, they don't have time to click on the link. But people like to 
well, how are we going to have a, you know, who's going to answer the phone? I said, I did it this way. I have a work line. All right. I never use the, my, my landline, but I set it up. You have reached the, uh, wait, you have reached the party planner for the uh, James Smith book party. Please let us know if you're attending. Beep. And it worked. And it was spectacular. I'm a little bit nervous about this one. Because not everybody clicked on the link. Not everybody clicked on the link. Hey, one other thing about this. Kareen Jean-Pierre. Um, one quick review. She's awful at the job, right? Everybody understands she's uh, she's terrible. Uh, she can't get it straight if Kamala Harris is the vice president or the president. There's that. And then there's this. Cut 11, please. Cut 11. So he's taking the steps. He's going to uh, continue to take this very seriously when we think about the border security. Mm. She needs more talking points. We take this seriously. We take that seriously. Of, 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 all right. Fine. What else? Hey, do you guys have that thing from the book where she's talking about her book that I sent you, the Kareen Jean-Pierre thing? It was the first thing I sent. We got, we read it, read it, I texted it to you a little while ago. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, this is the fun part where she says, a black gay immigrant woman. I am a black gay immigrant woman. I'm telling you. And she thinks that Donald Trump doesn't like her because of those things. No, maybe you have issues with yourself. But uh, we're fine with it. We actually don't care. Uh, one shout out for Ivan Provorov, the hockey player in New Jersey. No, where is he? Uh, Philadelphia, right? He plays for the Philadelphia Flyers. And for whatever reason, the Philadelphia Flyers decided to have a gay pride practice night. And they had all this gay pride hockey sticks and gay pride shirts and gay pride colors on the ice. Hockey is not a gay sport. It's not. It's not a straight sport either. It's a sport. The puck doesn't care who you sleep with at night. I'm sure there are gay hockey players. So what? We're going to have a celebration? I'm going to start walking around like Austin Powers. Remember him with the with the big male sex symbol and the unbuttoned shirt, the cheesiness, and everywhere he went? It was like that character Merv the Perv. Always wanted to talk about his sexuality. Well, most of us just don't care. And he said he doesn't want to do this because of his religious reasons, religious uh, concerns. Fair enough. Shouldn't be a big story, right? It was cut 19, cut 19, if you don't mind, cut 19. I just want to make sure we all know what we're talking about here, that you and I know at least what we're talking about here. There's a fervent and aggressive school of thought. Stop. That wishes to see natural law. That ain't cut. Oh, my mistake. (laughs) Cut 29, cut 29. A strange turn of events before the Flyers hosted the Anaheim Ducks tonight. The team wore pride jerseys during warm-ups to celebrate the LGBTQ plus community. However, defenseman Ivan Provorov would not join them on the ice, citing his Russian Orthodox beliefs. Now to a controversy involving one of the Philadelphia Flyers and his refusal to take part in a pride night. The rest of the team wore this during the warm-up skate at the Wells Fargo Center last night. You can see rainbow-colored numbers and some players using rainbow tape on their sticks. Provolov was the only Flyers player who didn't have a jersey and refused to skate in the pregame warm-ups. He refused to wear a pride night jersey. He was the only Flyers player who didn't have a rainbow sweater or a stick up for auction after the game. Wow, what a big deal, huh? 
Um, it's amazing that he's the odd man out. He's the odd man out because he doesn't want to make hockey about um, orientation. Good for him. And let's hear from the guy. His name is Ivan Provorov. I don't know much about hockey. He's the uh, defenseman, defense wingman. Cut 30. I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. That's all I'm going to say. Any, uh, like I said, that's all I'm going to comment on that. Um, if you have any hockey questions, I would like, I would answer those. All right. Fair enough. Right. Straightforward. That's not, he's not boasting. He's not condemning anybody. He's being respectful. That's all I'm going to say. It's because of my religious beliefs. Imagine if he was Muslim. I have a feeling everybody would be bending over backwards to accommodate him. But no. No, he happens to be a Christian. And because he's a Christian, these views are held against him in the most ugly way. Even the NHL, what the hell happened to the hockey? These people are crazy. Here's one of their uh, commentators. Cut 31, please. Cut 31. Nothing scares me more than any human being who says, I'm not doing this because of my religious beliefs. Because when you looked at people's lives, you normally say that publicly, you'd throw up at what you saw. You would throw up at what you saw. And I have seen that a million times in a lot of different ways. So don't, don't give me that. He's thrown up a million times. Wow. Um, you should see that guy. Talk about um, uh, somebody who would make you not feel good. It's just a weird-looking guy wearing a shirt without a collar. Not a T-shirt. Um, one of those sh- just one of those shirts that buttons up, but it has no collar. So weird. The hockey player wasn't boasting, and he wasn't saying that he lives a, lives a perfect life. Nobody's perfect. But you see, he's he's accusing that guy of being a hypocrite, even though he hasn't said anything other than, I have a religion. That's not boasting. That's not I'm perfect. That's not I'm better than you. It's incredible, right? The scorn that they're treating this guy with. You better get in line. I tell you what, the LGBTQ community, those who... Uh, Make a big deal out of it with the pride stuff. And you know what? Pride is a there's a little bit too much pride, I think, in something that you were not uh you didn't create that yourself, in my opinion. I think you were born gay, you were born straight, whatever. To have pride in something that you didn't work for. Now I understand for a long time gay people were persecuted, and that was wrong. And I'm glad it's over. But I think we've gotten a bit carried away. When we have the gay pride flags, not only in the church, outside the church, in the school, everywhere, right? In church. In church. At the hockey game. (laughs) There is a thing. I don't know what it's called psychologically where those who were oppressed become the oppressors. Right? I mean, they, they shouldn't have been oppressed. But now that, I mean, like. I guess they've got all the power now, and then they're kind of pushing around people who don't want to subscribe to that to that ideology, to that whatever, whatever you want to call it. Again, you can be whatever you want, but to make such a deal about it in a forum that is so irrelevant to sexuality in general. All right. Pretty disgusting in my book.
Oh, speaking of my book, <laughs> one of the great things about writing a book is you can settle scores. You know what? You can you can just straighten people out. Granted, you could do that on Twitter. Granted, I can say it on the radio. But there's something extra satisfying in in putting it in a book. So you will remember during Black Lives craziness, all that stuff, right, celebrated by the left, all the violence, all the rioting. Somehow this was justified. And you got to think it's true. They were justifying it, including one, uh, excuse me, Chris Cuomo, who at the time was with CNN. And um, listen to the virtue signaling. Listen to the, uh, well, I'm sorry, but this is idiocy. Cut 33, please. Cut 33. Now, too many see the protest as the problem. No, the problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets. Persistent and poisonous inequities and injustice. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Well, how about the Constitution and the text of the First Amendment, Chris? As I write in my book, that would be a good place to start. Congress, and I quote the law, the amendment directly, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble. Peaceably. And I put that in italics to emphasize it. And that somehow that this was a proportional reaction to what happened to George Floyd and what was happening to black people in general in America. It was totally exaggerated and distorted. If you really want to look at the numbers, if you really want to drill down, and nobody does, but you will see that the number of people actually shot and killed by police is very, very small, number one. And those, uh, most of them, <laughs> were brandishing guns, knives, firing those weapons, driving cars into people, that kind of thing. Now, those shootings uh, where they were unarmed, and oh, by the way, you can, be un- you can be without a weapon and still pose a deadly threat. But those cases, let's face it, those are a bit more controversial. You get down to the number 30, 30. That's not every day in America black men are being hunted down and killed because of their race. No, that's 30. And most of them are white, by the way. Most of them are Caucasian. Ah, there are so many myths out there. Yes, per capita, more people of color. But how about that? More white people, unarmed, killed by the police. Isn't that interesting? It's all in my book, which I am very proud of. Um, you know, the other thing that I like to point out here, as everybody said, these protests were so peaceful. There was something that really bothered me, and I, I mentioned this part on the show, but the next part I haven't mentioned. When Donald Trump appeared before the church, and uh, had that Bible after the riot the night before, and they cleared it. And it was the most abominable thing anybody had ever seen, a president with a Bible in front of a church. So much so that the director of the church condemned the visit. (laughs) Can you believe that? That they found it somehow wrong that a Bible was displayed outside their church. That doesn't say anything about Donald Trump's actions. It gives you a sense of the mood of the moment that the, this bishop felt so inclined to side with the mob over a peaceful president with a Bible. 
You know what that church did the next day? They put up a Black Lives Matter banner on their church. Right there. St. John's Church, right in front. That's insanity. And I was able to document it. You know, these television shows, they kind of they kind of float away. Twitter, social media accounts, it all kind of evaporates. But books, books you can always find. Book, a book will always be there. And uh, thank you for reading my book. Once again, it's called Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. And people come to me all the time for a free book. <laughs> I only had 20, and I gave them all away. Uh, look, uh, trying to run a business here, all right? Look, it's, it's not the money. It's the fact that I want to write another book. And if we get enough of these things sold, and it looks like we probably will, uh, the publisher is going to want to move forward on another project. And that's important. Uh, because Bill O'Reilly ain't going to be here forever, and we love Bill. Now, one person I'm sending a free book to is Christine in Middletown. Hello, Christine. Welcome back. How are you? Hi, Greg. Good afternoon. Um, Give me I some like time that. on that book, okay? It's going to be uh, it's going to be a bit, okay? But keep, go ahead. I, I appreciate. Um, I support Proporov for not wearing that Pride jersey during warmups. Players shouldn't be feel pressured to wear Pride stuff during games, and I'm all for these teams not having Pride Pride nights too, Greg. And Christine, you've got such an interesting perspective because you are a trans woman who happens to be conservative. You made the decision, I believe, in your 50s to transition from male to female, correct? Correct, yes. You know what I did today, too, because you just mentioned the pride flag shouldn't be flown on government buildings. I saw a school in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, lived a TikTok with a BLM flag and a pride flag on their flagpole. So I went down there to investigate it and talk to someone and show my displeasure with it. How do they react to you, by the way? You're a tough person for liberals to argue with, okay? I mean, you gotta, you check a lot of boxes. Let's face it here. Uh, and when you show up and you say, that's not right, you shouldn't have the LGBTQ flag here, and you're a trans woman, they, they probably have a hard time getting their hands around that. What do they say? What's that like? I was nice about it. I put my feminine charm on. Uh, I explained, hey, you're creating some ill will. These kids are going to grow up and... Some will be LGBT people. I'm trying here to make their lives easier and and get rid of this anti-trans sentiment because these flags are, you're shoving it down people's throats. And, and that's the perception. That's reality out there. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing, Christine. You've got such a great perspective. Thank you for coming on the show. And, by the way, the book will be there before you know it. I'll be right back. Thank you. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, let's wrap up with the uh, for the hour. You want this Kareem Jean-Pierre thing? I think I better say it because everyone's getting offended that I am keep on calling her a black gay immigrant woman. <laughs> I got it from her. This is her big selling point. All right. So she wrote a book a few years ago, and sometimes you make a video to promote the book. I didn't do that, by the way. I don't know. Maybe I should. I think that was a fad. I don't think they do it anymore. All right. Here we go. Kareem Jean-Pierre talking about Kareem Jean-Pierre. Go ahead. When I walk around this place, it still gives me chills. It feels like just yesterday when it was packed with more than a million Americans hopeful about our future. Hey, how about that cheesy music in the background, right? That's, that, that's the kind that comes with the computer. Keep going. We're beginning to open up. 
People like me walked through and for the first time felt like we belonged. And then they tried to shut the door on us. The man who is now sitting in the building I used to work in hates everything that I am. A black gay immigrant woman. Stop right there. That's she's talking about the White House. She's talking about Trump and Trump. She makes it sound like she was uh, shut out because she's black and a woman and gay. Right. All those things. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I just I just love showing all these pictures and videos and interviews. And by the way, decades before he went into politics, decades before there he is with uh, this gay immigrant and that gay, just everybody, every he's friends with everybody. He likes people, actually, genuinely so. I think she says some other oddball thing here. Keep going. Afraid to fight him. These past few years have been tough, but we're tougher. And if there's anything my proud immigrant parents taught me. There we go. It's to fight hard and move forward no matter what. That's why I wrote a book called Moving Forward for the kids like me. A book about my story of hope, hard work, and the promise this country made to us. All right, stop. If she worked hard, she'd be better at this press secretary job. Okay, I'm sorry. And did her did her immigrant uh, mother or whatever say, you need to fight hard and move forward? That doesn't actually roll off the tongue. I don't think that was said around the... Th- I just don't think so. I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. it. Sounds like something that some copywriter wrote for her. Okay? Just like all of Joe Biden's silly slogans. He said the other day... My dad used to say, silence is complicity. Did old man Joe really say silence is complicity? Did they really say that at the uh, the dealership in um, in Wilmington? I don't think so. Lying comes so easy to these people. Helen in Westchester, what do you think? What do I think? I despise that woman. She makes... Every time I hear her voice, I feel like throwing up. Ooh. But I adore you. Hmm. I find you... Your personality, very unique, and you light up my day, which I need very much. And I want to say to Ivan, die Boże Zdrowia. What does that mean? Well, God give you health. I love it. Are you Russian? No, I'm Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Wow. All right. I love it. I love it. Uh, Is he Ukrainian, too? I guess so, right? No. I don't know. He may be ru- he's either Russian or Ukrainian. I'm not sure. I didn't analyze his background. Anyway, uh, coming along here, he's got balls, and I adore him for that. Because his other players, they're just going along for the money, you know. So I... I just have to say, he's got balls. All right. You said it twice. I love it, Helen. Helen, thank you so much for your support, for listening, and uh, I totally agree with you. You'd think a couple of other players would have boycotted uh, gay pride practice night, huh? I'll be right back. Thank you. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. They're going to be pushing January 6th all over again. January 6th. Heard it this morning, January 6th, because this... uh, There are some Democrats who are still defending Joe Biden. Fewer than normal, but they're still out there. So they want to go back to January 6th. Well, I'll go there for a moment because for a little while, if you said this out loud, they try to sue you. (laughs) Antifa was there on January 6th. 
And they were responsible for a lot of that stuff. In addition to the Capitol Hill cops who let people inside. Yes, they did. They held the doors open for them. They waved them inside. Others just stood there and did nothing. And we had all those silly hearings. Prime time. And nobody bothered to ask about the three cops who walked away and just stood there when Ashley Babbitt was killed. But back to Antifa for a moment. You ready for this? Because they said up and down, no Antifa. No, there's no evidence of Antifa. No. Well, this is Stephen Sund. He's the former chief of police. And this is right after January 6th. And listen to what he said. Cut 34. The assessment indicated that members of the Proud Boys, white supremacist groups, Antifa, and other extremist groups were expected to participate on January 6th and that they may be inclined to become violent. Huh. There it is. Antifa. In the intelligence assessment. Antifa. By the way, the Proud Boys aren't white supremacists, okay? I hate that. That's one of the biggest lies out there. And it's funny to read the January 6th report because they got to dance all around that because they know the truth. But they have to say things like, they have been known in the past to associate with somebody who once met a white supremacist. (laughs) That kind of thing. Uh, Enrique Tarrio, remember, who's in jail right now. There are so many political prisoners in America right now. That is a threat to democracy and has totally diminished our standing in the world. Thanks, Joe. And all of you idiots who are propping him up, corrupt fools. No, they're not idiots. They know what they're doing, I guess. And they've been winning. Strangely enough, they've been winning. But thank God for this recent revelation. Although it may not be the revelation I thought. Maybe this is, uh, this is uh, I'm saying, I know that Obama is goosing this along behind the scenes. Hey, if you saw my show last night, I, um, I made the case that they're trying to remove Joe Biden undemocratically. Yeah, they are. And I'm okay. I'm not okay with actually some of that. I wasn't okay with how he undemocratically got into power. Look, I think the guy should resign. I think he should be impeached, all that stuff. But I do have some reservations about this classified document thing. I'll go into it in a moment. But remember this. He got in undemocratically. Okay, he did. He did, he did, he did. I want to go to Iowa and New Hampshire. The year is 2020. And you got to do really well in Iowa and New Hampshire, right? Isn't that true? When you're running for president, you got to do well. There's a whole rule of thumb. Iowa, if you're running for president, there are three tickets out of Iowa. First, second, and third place. And there are two tech tickets out of New Hampshire. you got to come in first or second. And let's see how that worked out. Uh, well, actually, cut 21, please. Here's a, here's a political scientist laying it out. Whoever wins Iowa and New Hampshire gets a lot of media attention, and that can lead to an increase in national polling and an increase in fundraising. That person also just gets the glow of being a winner associated with them that can help them do well in future contests. And that's the way it works out. Jimmy Carter, first place in Iowa, first place in New Hampshire. Ronald Reagan, first place in Iowa, first place in New Hampshire. George H.W. Bush, third place in Iowa, but first place in New Hampshire. It goes on like this. Bill Clinton, second place in New Hampshire. And that was really, really good because the guy who was in first place was, uh, I think he was from New Hampshire, Massachusetts, right next door. George George W. Bush, first place in Iowa, second place in New Hampshire. 
It goes for um, uh, Barack Obama, first place in Iowa, first place in New Hampshire. Donald Trump, second place in Iowa, first place in New Hampshire, and on and on and on, except for Joe Biden. Guess what place he came in in Iowa? Fourth. Wow. He must have done a lot better in New Hampshire, right? Wrong. Fifth. Fourth place and fifth place. And then he gets to South Carolina, and everybody starts dropping out of the race like crazy. Cut 23. Both Klobuchar and Buttigieg dropping out of the race after Saturday's South Carolina primary. Billionaire Tom Sayre has announced he is dropping out of the presidential race. This follows a disappointing finish in the South Carolina primary. Mayor Pete Buttigieg, the 38-year-old from South Bend, Indiana, has dropped out of the race for president. His announcement came Sunday night after a crushing defeat in South Carolina. All right. Well, he was at that point two out of three. (laughs) He won Iowa. I think he was like lost New Hampshire by six votes. Guy was on top of the world politically. And then Jim Clyburn came along. Congressman Clyburn. And Barack Obama, I know he was pulling. And they had a talk. They had a talk with the candidates. You get the hell out of the way. It's Joe. It's going to be Joe. End of story. That's not democracy. That's not democracy. And this is not democracy. The way they're taking him out now, they're not, it's not democratic. It's not. But he didn't get in democratically, so I'm actually okay with it. I am. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, right? Wait till you see what the hell he said about himself through the years. Nobody has vetted this guy like I have. Nobody. And I'm proud to have done it. Very, very proud. Uh, All right, what else do we... Oh, hey, Ernie Anastas is going to uh, be working here at WABC. Now... Uh, I know Ernie well. I worked with him at Channel 5, but, you know, also I grew up with the guy, watching him there on uh, Good Morning America. He was on that all the time, and Eyewitness News. Those guys changed the news industry. Really amazing. And uh, always intrigued by Ernie over the years, you know, even before I got him. And he is what he looks like, you know, incredibly nice, charismatic, uh, knows New York inside and out. Also knows New Hampshire. I think he's a native of New Hampshire. I ought to talk to him about that sometime. Um, so he's going to be doing those uh, those pieces and more here at WABC, and it's great. I saw him this morning. Man, oh, man, oh, man. The guy's getting younger. <laughs> and the way he dresses, I got to start doing that. I don't know what it is. He wore a, blight, a bright blue vest and a white pullover. I don't know what it is, but he looked like a million dollars. I look like a bit of a schlub right now. I'm wearing an old corduroy jacket. You know, I'm just, I, I, I just, I don't know. Could I pull off that kind of look? I probably could, but I'd be very self-conscious. I'd be like, look at my blue vest. He can pull it off. I don't know if I can. Anyway, I found this footage. It was funny. I was just watching this the other night. There's a show on PBS called The Choice, and they do it every major election, and it's a profile of um, the two candidates, Biden and Trump, and they've been doing this for years. They've been doing it since like 1960. 19- 80, I think. Listen to how the show opens, and it's our old friend Ernie Anastas. Go ahead. Welcome to America Wants to Know. I'm Ernie Anastas, and this is the... In 1992, I hosted a special show in New York where viewers asked a lot of questions about their favorite celebrities. Many, of course, were interested in Donald Trump and what he was like as a young boy growing up in Queens. I managed to catch up with Donald's parents, Mary and Fred Trump, and asked them what was Donald's favorite game as a child. He played Monopoly. Yes, indeed. 
He, he played with play. his brother. Yeah. Uh -huh. He played with Robert. But more than Monopoly, he played with building blocks. Ooh. Always with building blocks. But Donald go. Trump's childhood was much more complicated. Much more complicated. Then the fake news kicks in. <laughs> they say it's all negative and this, that, and the other thing. Um, the footage is amazing in that documentary. But how about that with Ernie? Hey, another thing about the blocks. And this, I believe, is in, uh, I think it's in Donald Trump's own book. Uh, he was playing with his brother's Robert blocks half the time. And what he would do is glue the blocks together. And he'd get to keep all the blocks because his blocks were connected. <laughs> um, only Trump. And I like him. I love the guy. And I can't stand all this talk about DeSantis. DeSantis is not ready. Too brittle. And neither is Nikki Haley. What the hell does she stand for? I, did I tell you? Did I show you the last time we went through all of her classic political lies, claiming credit for stuff that she had nothing to do with? Boeing and Mercedes doing business in uh, South Carolina way before she ever became a uh, governor. And she's trying to claim credit for all that stuff. So the news today, Mike Pompeo has coming out with a book next month. Mike Pompeo, the former secretary of state who also wants to be president of the United States. Sit the hell down. You have no, no business running for president. Not after Donald Trump gave you these amazing opportunities, Central Intelligence Agency director, Secretary of State. Is it that important that you run now? Wait, wait your turn. There are plenty of other people out there. He's 56 years old, by the way. He looks a lot older. I think he took Ozempic because he lost a hell of a lot of weight with no real explanation. A lot of people are doing that now. But anyway, he writes in his book um, reportedly that... Nikki Haley went to President Trump with Ivanka and Jared and said, I should be your vice president when you run for re-election. Get rid of Pence. And this is supposed to be scandalous. Um, or Pompeo thinks it it's, says the world about Nikki Haley that she's a bad person. I think Nikki Haley is terrible for a lot of reasons, except for this. Every presidency, they always muse about getting rid of the vice president when they're running for re-election. Just about always. Dan Quayle, he was definitely jettisonable, and I think H.W. Bush might regret not getting rid of him, although Dan Quayle, much smarter than people ever gave him credit for, a lot smarter. And he's one of those guys who saw Trump's appeal very early on, knew that that guy could go all the way. Who else? Um, Richard Nixon, famously. Maybe not anymore, but um, uh, Dwight Eisenhower almost got rid of him actually actively kind of recommended that you resign the vice presidency, don't run for vice president, I'll make you my secretary of defense. That would be much better. You'll learn administrative stuff because you don't really have that on your resume, and you'll be better when you run for president. And Nixon, appropriately so, was apoplectic at this suggestion that it would finish him politically. Now, the one thing, a better arrangement would have been him being vice president and secretary of defense or and secretary of state. But I think Dwight was not comfortable with that. I think Dwight Eisenhower is somewhat overrated, by the way. He was, can we say this now? I think we can. He was a little lazy. He was definitely lazy. <laughs> and Nixon, in his own way, wrote about that. In his own way, he kind of uh, nailed uh, Dwight. And he deserved it. Dwight Eisenhower deserved it. He, he let poor Richard Nixon, he, he did not treat him uh, well, all right. So there's that. Welcome to WABC, Ernie. It should be great uh, having him around. Um, 
What else do we have here? Hey, are you guys tired of Fox News? I'm still tired and, quite frankly, a little bit steamed at Fox News. You know, there are a couple of things that uh, arguably are unforgivable. Now, I like some of the hosts there. Don't get me wrong, all right? You know who we're talking about. I love those guys. But day in and day out, a lot of the stuff. And what they did with Arizona, calling it at 6 o'clock at night or whatever. And even even right now, let's see, cut 35. I think this is the weather person, cut 35. I think you have to be equally outraged about Trump having classified documents and Biden. And Biden having classified documents. Thanks a lot. Is that what Fox News is for? You're supposed to be equally outraged? How about Fox providing the necessary information and context and showing the vast differences in the case? Unbelievable. Poor Roger Ailes. Poor Roger Ailes. He gave that place everything, and they disrespect him to this day. Wow. All right, are we up? We're up. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right. Liberal favorite Alec Baldwin is um, being charged with involuntary manslaughter for that thing that happened on the movie set. That thing being he killed a woman. He shot a woman. He shot a woman. Yet he's still invited to all these great parties. (laughs) And, um, you know, Harry and Meghan get their anti-racism award and they want Alec Baldwin to present it. It's crazy. Uh, The other thing, though, why is he so accepted after something so horrific? Well... He's the he's anti-Trump, and he did that very bad, uh, very crude imitation of Donald Trump. One of the fundamental problems with that imitation is he played him dumb. He plays a dumb Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is not dumb. It did not work. always. But they would just lose their minds. That's the way Hollywood is, though. And you can they can forgive anything if you're on their team, if you're, they're on, if you're on their side ideologically. So here's an example. Uh, Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski is a director who is still alive. He lives in France. He did some popular movies back in the 60s and 70s. One of them was Rosemary's Baby, which is actually a very good movie, very scary and very New York. I actually like that movie, but whatever. He was married to Sharon Tate, who was murdered by Charles Manson's crew. Remember that? Uh, well, anyway, a couple of years later, uh, apparently he gave quaaludes to a 13-year-old girl and had sex with her in a hot tub. At least that's what the district attorney of Los Angeles believes. <laughs> and when it came time to uh, show up to the jail, Roman Polanski was on a plane to France, and he's been there ever since. Welp, uh, the DA, that case is still active. But every time, and Roman Polanski is still making movies, which stink, by the way. I don't know why that is. Why do some directors make two, three great movies and everything else stinks? Why is that? Some directors are different, but he is, no. He, ooh, they're so bad and unwatchable. But he gets an award and everybody goes bananas. They stand up and they applaud. This is a child rapist, for God's sake. It's pretty hypocritical. I don't know. And this is the whole, they all went all in on the Me Too stuff, right? All in, all in. What a weird crew. What a weird world, huh? Uh, Where is this person? Uh, Connie in New Jersey, hello. Hi, Greg. I've been uh, waiting a while. I wanted to tell you that I haven't bought your book yet, but I'm going to. Um, 
I enjoy your show a lot, and you've covered quite a bit. I wanted to tell you, and I think I've mentioned before because I have called you, uh, about this being Obama's third term. Right. And um, that um, he always, uh, Obama said when Trump came in that he wasn't going away. And uh, him and Soros and a bunch of them um, caused uh, Trump's malaise while he was in the uh, the office. I uh, it was like we, we, having tied behind his back. Don't call it. We won't call it malaise, but they try to sabotage him. They try to sabotage Trump, and to some extent, they did, and all that crap, the impeachment, and all that other stuff. So you and I are on the same page. Yes. And uh, the other thing is the January 6th thing. Uh, It was Antifa. And uh, I think I called you uh, later because it really was getting to me uh, that they had uh, a parade in full uniform going through, uh, I think it was Washington. uh, And they had Antifa on their pockets with 666 below it, which means, of course, the double. Bad people. And they hate America. And incredibly, the mainstream media have given them a big, big pass. I don't. And that's in my book, Connie. I appreciate it so much. And I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You realize we have a true degenerate in the White House. Totally corrupt, morally and otherwise. And it's been hiding in plain sight for years, years and years and years. And everybody knew this about him. But somehow they told us it was charming. Somehow this was Kennedy-esque. There's a lot of bad things about the Kennedys, though, by the way. And Joe knew that stuff by the time he was in love with the Kennedys. He always he modeled himself after the Kennedys. So there's this kind of classic article about Joe Biden in the Washingtonian magazine, Washingtonian magazine. And the stuff that he says out loud to Kitty Kelly, very famous uh, journalist, wrote some nasty books about Ronald Reagan, but um, where are we here? It's um, who the hell talks like this? Are you ready? Are you ready for to be? Uh, all right. So I got to build the case. It's going to take a, a little bit. One thing he says here, he defines politics as power. Quote, and whether you like it or not, young lady, he says, leaning over his desk to shake his finger at me, us cruddy politicians can take away that First Amendment of yours if we want to. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Here's something else in the article. Uh, He has a uh, conversation, a kind of a passive aggressive conversation with Senator Thomas Eagleton. That's a name from the past. My goodness gracious. Uh, He's a. Thomas Eagleton was the vice presidential nominee in 1972, was it? But he had to drop out because it came out that he had electroshock therapy for depression. Anyway, Eagleton smoothly changes the subject as we walk back to the office. Biden tells him a joke with an anti-Semitic punchline and asks that it be off the record. (laughs) Wow. Um, How about this? The senator shows a healthy re- – let me – who was who Joe Biden at this time? This is 1973, I believe. He's 31 years old. He's in the United States Senate. And this is the way he talks. You ready? The senator shows a healthy respect for money. 
Politics is a damned expensive business. I had one hell of a time trying to raise money as a candidate. I had to put a second mortgage on a row house to get the campaign started, and I ended up spending over $300,000 to get elected. I believe that public financing of federal election campaigns is the only thing that will ensure good candidates and save the two-party system. It is the most degrading thing in the world to go out with your hat in your hand and beg for money. But that's what you have to do if you haven't gotten if you haven't got your own resources. All right, does that sound reasonable? No. It gets it's here we go, all right? He feels the indignity is compounded by the temptation to sell out to big business or big labor for financial help and says it's almost impossible for a candidate to remain true to his conscience in this situation. He admits that more than once he was tempted to compromise to get campaign money. I probably would have had it if it hadn't been for the ramrod character of my Scotch Presbyterian wife. I am not a rich man, and my family does not have money. If I sold everything I own, including my house and cars, I could probably scratch up $200,000. But that's nothing compared to most of the guys in the Senate. This is a guy who wants that money. He wants it. By the way, $200,000 is a lot of money back in uh, 1973. A lot. Unlike most senators, Biden makes no bones about saying he is underpaid. Last September, when the Senate was debating a pay raise for itself, he said, I don't know about the rest of you, but I am worth a lot more than my salary of $42,500 a year in this body. It seems to me that we should flat out tell the American people we are worth our salt. Now, before he finished that speech, the Associated Press totally freaked out. (laughs) Listen to this. Uh... William Loeb, who ran the Manchester Union Leader at the time, writes a front-page editorial, and I quote from it. Can you imagine the conceit and stupidity of a young man of 30 who would say that? (laughs) The voters of Delaware who elected this stupid, conceited jackass to the Senate should kick him in the rear to knock some sense into him and then kick themselves for voting for such an idiot. I love it. I love it. Where is this guy? Is he still alive? William Loeb? He wrote that. Uh, Biden keeps going. I believe we should strive to reach the point where members of Congress give up the right to all income but their annual salaries, and we could come come to that point only when our annual salaries fully reflect the magnitude of our duties and responsibilities. See, Joe thought he was entitled to a lot more money than he was getting because I think senators still make how much is it they make about two hundred thousand dollars a year that's what that's what the president was making in 1973 let's see here there's a little bit more uh ah here we go this is where he's uh finished in my book finished you ready Senator Biden doesn't believe issues make much of a difference in an election. Personality and presentation are the key. He said as much the night he addressed the Democrat Forum, a small group of Washington liberals who meet with politicians on a regular basis. I don't think the issues mean a great deal in terms of whether you win or lose. I think the issues are merely a vehicle to portray your intellectual capacity to the voters a vehicle by which the voters will determine your honesty and candor. 
the central issue of my campaign, and I used all the issues from busing to the war to the economy, crime, and prison reform, was to convince the people that I was intelligent and to convince them that I was honest. Is there any American alive who believes at this point that this man is intelligent or honest? Really, seriously. The hardest of hardcore Democrats cannot make that case anymore. And that thing where he said, how could anybody be so irresponsible? That's it. That was political history right there. He's done. I don't know exactly how or when, but he's done. Uh, let's go to uh, Rich in Brooklyn. Hi, Rich. Hey, Greg. How you doing? Good. Yeah, I spoke to your screener. When you're describing uh, that press secretary, maybe he can add that she went to Kellenberg the Catholic high school out in Long Island. That might balance the equation on uh, people judging. What difference does that make? Well, it's opposite of what uh, people are. Uh, well, what, how do you describe her? What's your uh, script on her? Not my script. It's what she says about herself. She's a black gay immigrant woman. Well, and yeah, that's what she's most it, proud about, that. It, you know, that's funny you say that. Why isn't she proud high school Catholic high school graduate? Mm. Kellenberg, yeah. She lived in Hempstead and uh, went to Kellenberg. Good for her. But it, to me, it's irrelevant. I mean, it's irrelevant. I mean, I, I can only deal with what she says in public, and what she says in public is more than enough material. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, Rich, thank you. Uh, let's go to Agnes in Ocean Beach. Hi. Hi, Gregory. I called yesterday, uh, and I spoke to you about um, the, your book. And you, how called, yes, you called yesterday? I did, did but you... I talked to you that I got your book finally, but now you are. Um, I listen to you on the radio, on my little transistor radio. I listen, I watch you on TV, and now we have you in print. What? So it, it, now we have you in print, three things now. And the book is wonderful, and we're waiting for a, another one. And my husband and I are really hooked on your programs. Let's no, face it, it's I, a special it's a special show, isn't it? Especially the TV show. No one is doing what I'm doing. I am so proud of it and so happy. And we're proud of you because you tell it like it is, and we love Trump also. I'm probably going to get censored for calling you. But you know what? I'll tell you. My, um, I love the Chiefs, and I have never been into football, but I taught Stephen Spagnuolo in my third grade 40 years ago, and he remembered me, would you believe? So I I know that he is also a Bible person, and I went to all Catholic schools through my whole life. All right. And, you know, they never really explained, like you do, about the Bible, how it can help people. For some reason, we read the lives of the saints and this and that, but never really the true book of the Bible. So I thank you very much for being you. Oh, wow. And Agnes, it's so kind. Thank you for the book. Thank you for the praise. And thank you. Wow. I know what you mean. I mean, look, we love Catholic uh, parochial school. Um, it's better most of the time, not all the time, than public school. But, you know, I was there for a time and— uh, yeah, it wasn't emphasized, the Bible. What was emphasized was I had to ask for permission to uh, get my pencil sharpened. That's that's That was my big takeaway from Catholic school. It's very strict, and um, but um, it, it serves 
a wonderful purpose, and we support it, of course. We do, we do, we do, we do. And uh, it's under fire right now. But uh, sometimes uh, they got a little bit too strict. Agnes, thank you. Hey, we're, real quick, where is Ocean Beach? Ocean Beach, New Jersey is near Lavalette or Seaside Heights, uh, about an hour from Atlantic City. And we just moved here from Watchung in uh, uh, north New Jersey. All right. Abs- beautiful, Agnes. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Continued uh, listening and viewing, and uh, I'm so grateful. Tatiana Ibrahim joins us. She's that lioness of Carmel, New York. Don't mess with her. She got up and famously shot down, shut down that uh, crazy woke school board. Uh, Tatiana, welcome back. Hi, Greg. Thank you for having me. How are you? No, I'm terrific. So what's the latest in the uh, in the battle to take back our schools from these woke monsters? Well, we've partnered with Turning Point USA. They've created a watch list, and we are now putting districts, and they're indoctrinating ways on these watch lists. Um, Yorktown School District in Yorktown Heights, New York, which is my neighboring district, was just put on. Carmel's next. Um, we're just dealing with, it, you know, a lot of racism and indoctrination and a lot of Marxist values. Um, you know, we just came across one guidance counselor, Dex Armstrong. Greg, you know I call them out. And um, guidance counselor in the Yorktown High School. He is head activist of the BLM here in Putnam and uh, Westchester County. He has been indoctrinating students, giving BLM rallies, asking white children what they're going to do with their white privilege and promoting bigotry, racism against Donald Trump, and, you know me, mostly against our police officers, and I'm not having it. You know, he wants, he's telling kids that the police are bad, uh, cops are just nothing but about brutality. Um, He has formed a small community within the school district, and the school is even involved. Hey, you know what's really weird at those school boards? They act like they're so important. They sit sometimes in these auditoriums on these elevated daises, dais, whatever. What's the plural of dais? Probably dais. Anyway, and they 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 act like they're the ministers of education. They're just they're so self important and strange. Do they realize they're just school board members and they work for uh, the people? They're elected officials. Exactly. They were elected by the people, and they work for us, the taxpayers. And they forget their place. It is what it is. Hey, Tatiana, listen, uh, you went viral a couple of years ago, and I think we got it already. Here's a moment. You, in front of that school board, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, Let's go ahead and listen to a portion. No, I think you people are because the way you're acting yeah. and the way you're treating our children and our police officers yeah. and making them believe that it's okay to abuse them, I'll be damned if I'm going to sit here and yeah. let you do that. You, you, no, you I'm, I will become your worst nightmare because I'm going to stand here and keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. Everyone out there heard me. Whether they agree or they don't, they're going to start looking into it. And now you're, go- now you're exposed. That's all. It's going to end. This indoctrination and hatred towards our police officers, the systematic racism and cancel culture is going to end. You came to the wrong school district to do this, okay? Thank you. Absolutely awesome. And do me a favor. uh, Tell me again what they did to your daughter, the assumptions they made and what they had to say uh, about her. So my daughter is... um, She's, first of all, she is of Islamic faith, of her father's faith, 
and she is white with green eyes and extremely blonde hair. And they have been, they were calling her, telling her that she was too white, too pasty white. You know, so racism exists. It's reverse racism. It is happening every day. And it is, you know, they were torturing her verbally. And we just had a case not too long ago. One of her educators told her she wasn't going to amount to anything. You know, Lisa was accepted to Pace University. She wants to go work with the FBI. Law enforcement is her life. She wants to work with human trafficking and criminal profiling. And um, one of her very yeah. radical le- uh, educators told her she will in front of the class she will amount to nothing well jokes on him she was accepted to pace so, and the future yeah. is uh so bright well uh That's for great. her we got to be careful though and tatiana you're fighting the fight we love it tatiana ibrahim how can people find you yeah. on social media uh you can get me on instagram at tatiana ibrahim usa i'm all over facebook and uh on our on our website tatiana ibrahim and we're fighting every day. We're going after them. We're not going to let it. We're not going to stop. We love it. We love it. Fighting the woke nonsense that is corrupting our children. Tatiana Ibrahim, thank you. And we'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, remember when they leaked the um, the abortion opinion? It was like, when was that? Uh, February or March, maybe April of last year that the justices were about to rule um, in the abortion case, and somebody leaked it, and that's never happened before. So they conducted a big investigation. They interviewed uh, everybody they could, 100 people, clerks, and they have no idea how that thing got out into the public. Somebody is lying. (laughs) Somebody is definitely lying. The likely uh, culprit is a clerk to a liberal justice, all right? That's the likely culprit, but I guess we'll uh, we'll never know for sure. The husband of one of those clerks wrote for Politico, and I think they're one of, that That might be the organization that broke the story. All right, I got to go across the street, get ready for the evening show. So uh, sorry, you guys have been on hold for such a long time. Let's do it real quick. Uh, Joyce, hi. Hi, Greg. Oh, my God, you've talked about so many subjects. I can comment on all. But I better get back to my original uh, reason for calling about Obama. I spoke to you before about a tape I saw when he was running for office. He was overseas, probably in the Middle East, of course. And he was asked by a reporter, what would you do if it came to choosing the Muslims in America or the American citizens? He said, I would choose the Muslims. I have no way of back-checking it. I've only seen it once, and I never saw it again after that. It's got to be on whatever you call it, Google or whatever. I don't have a, uh, an iPhone or a smartphone. That's very important because it's the future of America. I've never so. seen it either. Um, I wonder if you might be thinking of this moment where he told George Stephanopoulos, he's uh, talking to George, and he's very pompous, and he says, you know, this goes back to my Muslim faith. And Stephanopoulos interrupts him and says, you mean your Christian faith? And he's like, oh, yeah, my Christian faith. Now, by the way, you can be Muslim, that's fine, but you can't lie about it, right? If you want to be president, you've got to let us know who you are. And a lot of us think that uh, Obama uh, has not told us the truth about who he is. Joyce, thank you very much. Uh, we'll look for that. Uh, haven't found it yet. Lou in Queens. Lou? Good talking to you again. Um, I want to tell you something that's going to be shocking to you. Uh-oh. That all the information that we've heard about inequality in this country— uh, is based on false information. I'm shocked. A new book, 
on a, on a new book called The Myth of American Equality, How Government Biases Policy Debate. I'm going to cut to the chase. When the Census Bureau provides the source data everyone uses to calculate inequality in the country, it only accounts in this the metrics cash income. Nearly every government transfer payment. Are you ready? All for right, this? calm down. Oh, I, uh, I, I, it's not as shocking as you think. Uh, but what, who, uh, Lou, I appreciate it. Uh, who wrote the book? Well, uh, 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 Bob Eklund. And okay. All right, I'll check Rep- it out. I got to get to Robert now. He's been on hold for a long time, too. Robert, hello, in Suffolk County. Hi, thank you, Greg. Like the show, what's happened with Greg Abbott, Governor Abbott, since he announced he's using the National Guard and state police to protect the border? What do you mean? I haven't heard anything since he announced he was going to do it. Uh... I think I saw him on the news last night. I mean, what do you? Let's see here. Are illegal immigrants getting arrested yeah, for crimes? Push, government promised to prioritize school. I'm sorry. What? what I don't understand what you're. What? What? what you think? Are illegal immigrants getting arrested for crimes? Well, they the ought to be if they commit crimes. Look, you know the situation is out of control. There, he's doing what he can, but it's limited. He's a governor, and he he's asking. He's desperate for federal government help. You saw him give that letter to uh, President Biden just a couple of weeks ago. So uh, and he's getting the runaround. He's doing what he can with the resources that he has. I'm not so sure about the National Guard thing. Uh, And that's it. Uh, Mike and Wayne, as we go to break, what's the late uh, as we end the show? What? How are you? Good. Speak. Great. Um, You know, I just wanted to say one thing that these hypocrites that voted for Biden you know, you want to stump them? Just ask them, in the last two years since Biden's been president, how has your life improved? Good question. Great question. I'll see you tonight.